This is Bridging the Gap with Love, Episode 3, Yours, Mine, and Ours. I'm Heidi Brower, a birth mom. And I'm Jessica Johns, an adoptive mom. And this is a podcast about our own stories and experiences with adoption, while hoping to provide education and support for birth moms, potential birth moms, and anyone with a connection to adoption. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Last week we heard Heidi's story and today I'll be sharing my story. It's difficult to pinpoint the beginning of the story I'm going to share with you today. The story of family, infertility, and adoption. There's no clear starting point and it will continue on forever. So this is my story from the vantage point of today, May 12th, 2022. Also, before I get started, as I share this story, I am mindful of our children's birth parents, grandparents, family, and friends. They would tell this story differently than we would. The same phone call that gave us the opportunity for parenthood represented an impossible and heartbreaking decision on the part of our children's birth parents. This is my story from my vantage point as a hopeful adoptive mom. We hope to hear from and represent all the perspectives in this story because each is valid, painful, and beautiful in its own right. I'm the oldest of six children. My mom is the fourth of 13 children, and my dad is the fourth of seven children. I grew up surrounded by family, grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins, and siblings. Family life was everything. I was your typical oldest child, I think, responsible, a little bossy, nurturing, and helpful. I was the unofficial baby holder at family gatherings. Babies were my absolute favorite. I was content to hold and rock and cuddle and calm babies. Adoption was introduced into my family through two of my aunts, one a birth mom and one an adoptive mom. We consider my aunt's birth daughter as our cousin, our family. We welcomed seven cousins through adoption. I feel so lucky that growing up, adoption was a familiar, natural, and extra special way to build a family. I didn't realize then how much this exposure to adoption would influence my own family decisions. Fast forward to August 8, 2008, Jared and I were married in the Mount Tipinogos Temple for time and all eternity, surrounded by our family and friends. It was one of those blissfully calm, joyous days I'd be willing to relive again and again. We had fallen in love almost four years before during our freshman year of college. After two missions and two and a half years of letter writing, we were relieved to finally be in the same country to seal the deal and start our lives together. After being married for about a year, we felt like we were ready to start our family. I went off birth control and we waited for the happy news. It's that simple, right? Month after month, anticipation and letdown, disappointment and confusion. We were in a BYU married student ward and several of our friends were getting pregnant. I was in the Relief Society presidency, so pregnancy and babies were the main topics of conversation. I felt awkward. I couldn't relate to the experiences of my friends, and I was being left behind. Now, just to preface, as I share about Jared and I's experience with infertility, I'm going to use the actual names of reproductive body parts, procedures, tests, and medical conditions. For some reason, this can still be uncomfortable to talk about, but we need to. It's important for fertility education and to help those that are struggling with infertility to know that they are not alone. 
I suffered alone for several months and it wasn't until I started sharing our experience with infertility that I began to feel some healing and relief. So bear with me. After a year of trying to get pregnant with no success, we set up an appointment with an OB. I was diagnosed with endometriosis, which we originally thought could be preventing conception. However, after a laparoscopic procedure, the results showed that my fallopian tubes were clear. Thankfully, at the same time, our OB also recommended that Jared's fertility be tested. We went to a fertility clinic to provide a sperm sample for a sperm analysis. This is one of those experiences that if you know, you know. It's incredibly awkward and embarrassing to say the least, and one of the ways that sex becomes science for couples that are dealing with infertility and the procedures that follow. A week or two after the appointment at the fertility clinic, I got a call from my OB while I was at work. The sperm analysis showed that there are zero sperm. This is a condition called azospermia. You will be unable to conceive children. The wind was completely knocked out of me. We had not even considered this possibility. After delivering the results of the test, she hung up the phone. There was no sympathy or compassion in her voice, which I suppose is not a part of her job description, but I felt the blow of it and I began to sob. I called Jared and tried to explain, but I didn't have the words. I was given permission to leave work. Jared picked me up in our blue stick shift Honda Civic and we went on a drive around Provo. We tried to wrap our heads around what the OB had told us and eventually somehow I went back to work. When I look back on the weeks that followed, I remember the shock and devastation, silent sacred suffering, but also a sweet reassurance and peace that passes understanding. Even though it felt like our dreams had been dashed, somehow we knew everything would be all right. One of the scriptures we found during this time gave me insight and hope. You cannot behold with the natural eyes for the present time, the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. For after much tribulation cometh the blessings. That's in Doctrine and Covenants 58 verses three and four. The very next month, we started orientation with the local adoption agency, LDS Family Services. We spent time in classes, clinics, and listening to panels of birth parents, adoptive parents, and adoptees. We were fully immersed in the adoption world, Provo, Utah style, and we fell in love with the people on all sides of the adoption story. After our training, we were sitting down to write out our $1,000 check to become clients of LDS Family Services, and we were out of checks. We told the agency we would be back the next day with the check, but we never went back and we weren't sure why. It wasn't about the money or the checks, but the empty checkbook provided a brief pause and we no longer felt the momentum to move forward. It just wasn't time. I wondered why, but I trusted that Heavenly Father would guide our paths. Two years later, Jared and I were living in Kirksville, Missouri. I was working full time and Jared was getting ready to start medical school. We were in a ward full of young student families with small children and babies on the way. Jared and I sat in the back of the chapel, alone but together. I felt out of place, like I couldn't relate, like I was being left behind. We started feeling the pull or a push or something. The momentum was back. It was time to move forward. We prepared ourselves to begin the adoption process again with LDS Family Services, this time in Missouri. But before we could even reach out to the agency, another phone call. But this call seemed too good to be true. Through a family connection, my aunt and adoptive mother herself, 
we learned of a woman who was thinking of placing her identical twin baby girls for adoption. Since finding out we wouldn't have biological children back in 2010, we were open with family and friends about our desire to grow our family through adoption. I'm going to need to fact check this with Danielle, but I'm pretty sure my Aunt Elaine gave Danielle our Facebook and blog info. I'm not sure if Danielle looked us up or checked us out, but she and Chad, our daughter's birth father, agreed to meet for dinner. My aunt and uncle were there too as mentors and guides throughout the early stage of our relationship. I don't remember the precise moment, but after a couple of meetings, we began to work on on an adoption plan. It was August 2012, and the girls were scheduled to be born by C-section on September 20th. We had six weeks to complete a home study, all while I was working full-time and Jared was a new medical student. There wasn't a lot of extra time for us to stew. We had to act. This was an incredible blessing and tender mercy for me personally, because the emotions and fears and anxieties were so big and so fragile, I was afraid that if I stopped moving, I would be completely consumed by them. We found an adoption agency that could expedite our home study. A caseworker was assigned to us and another for Danielle. We completed all of our background and medical checks, home visits and interviews, and our home study was finished just in time for the birth of these precious girls already loved by many families. I remember leaving our home in Kirksville, Missouri on the morning of our daughter's birth. Jared and I nervously, anxiously, excitedly drove the three and a half hours from Kirksville to Mercy Hospital in St. Louis. To say we had butterflies would be a gross understatement. We have described the feeling to others before as cautious excitement, a constant battle of flooding joy and excitement, which you have to continuously restrain and tamp down in an effort to self-protect against the loss of all of it. It is the preparation for complete devastation, disappointment and loss, while also allowing for the potential for the most happiness you have ever felt. It is impossible. But when we walked into the hospital, we were greeted by my aunt and uncle and Danielle's mother and grandmother, somehow meeting the other people who were rooting for Danielle and these sweet babies put my mind and heart at ease. We watched in awe as the girls were wheeled down the hallway to the NICU. They were tiny, but perfect. Danielle gave me and Jared the gift of being present on the day her daughters were born. We had absolutely no claim to them at this time other than hopeful parents. This gift was given completely out of her own goodness and generosity. And I am so grateful that Jared and I got to witness our daughters being carried and delivered into this world by the strongest woman we know, their birth mother, Danielle. Danielle and her almost four-year-old daughter, Emma, are a part of our family. It's as simple as that. The sharing and giving began with her over nine and a half years ago, and we feel blessed to continue on forever in this most beautiful, rewarding relationship of family. Okay, now fast forward, June 29, 2018. I was at our Lewis family reunion in Daybreak, Utah, getting ready for the dreaded family pictures. I was driving my van with my girls in the back and my sister Christine in the passenger seat. I pulled into the parking lot, and right as I parked, my phone dinged. I got a text message from an unknown number. Hey, Jessica, this is Jessica Rich. Bishop gave me your number. This is completely out of my comfort zone, so it's taken me a while to text you. I'm not quite sure what to say, but I guess he said you're willing to maybe meet up and talk soon. 
This text message, brave and courageous and vulnerable, turned out to be a foreshadowing of what I would come to know about Jessica. She is open, honest, and stronger than she knows. When I got back into town, Jessica and I met up for lunch at Cafe Rio. It was awkward, and I was nervous out of my mind. But there was also a pervading feeling of peace. This was right. This feeling continued throughout our awkward dating phase as we got to know each other in my van, as we drove to her doctor's appointments or over shaved ice. Two women, two mothers, navigating a unique, fragile, special relationship. We both needed each other desperately in different ways. I knew Jessica and this baby boy she was carrying were gifts from Heavenly Father just for me. A few months before, in early 2018, during a disruptive but typical sacrament meeting with my wild girls, my mind miraculously focused in on the deacons that were passing the sacrament. I was hit with an unmistakable thought and desire. I wanted one of those. A little deacon. A little boy. This impression stayed with me, and a few months later, I told my husband. I look back on those feelings as the still, small voice preparing me for what was to come. So at Cafe Rio, when Jessica shared that she was pregnant with a baby boy, I thought, of course. I already knew that. Heavenly Father is good. He gives good gifts, the best gifts. His gifts are the best because he knows what our hearts yearn for. He knows our innermost desires. And that is as true for me as it is for Jessica. Heavenly Father brought us together to answer each other's prayers. It's difficult to describe our relationship in words, but we are sisters, we are friends, we are family forever, and we are both mothers. Together we went to doctor's appointments anxiously waiting to hear Bradley's heartbeat. Together we got to see Bradley's sweet little face during an ultrasound. And together we were in the sacred hospital room, Jessica, her mother, two sisters, and me, as Jessica's son was born. He was hers. And also, somehow, miraculously, he was mine. Through adoption, we gained not only three beautiful children, we gained Danielle and Jessica and their children and families. We claim all of them, and they claim us. And that's our story of adoption. If you have questions, you can email us at bridgingthegapwithlove22 at gmail.com.